0: At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, Do you think it that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No. I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or um, those 18 uh, who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse offenders than all of the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. And then Jesus told them this parable. A man had a fig tree. He planted it in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should we be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir... Let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it, put, put manure on it. If it bears no fruit next year, if it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. The word of the Lord, thanks, thanks be to God. You may be seated. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable, even pleasing to you, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. In Matthew's version of the Jesus story, the first sermon Jesus ever preached was, Repent the kingdom of God is at hand. The sermon was short, to the point, and he borrowed it in its entirety from John the Baptist. It was sort of his thesis sermon, the message that was at the core of everything he ever preached, taught, did. And as Jesus' ministry unfolded, he got a little more artful and creative in his delivery. But the gospel was the same. The God is not far off. God has come near, as near to you as the one to whom you speak. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus brought it right to us. The invitation is for us to, to accept it, to receive it, to live fully in that heavenly community right now. But to enjoy the fruits of the heavenly kingdom requires something of us. It requires us to repent, which is a loaded word, I think, but it simply means to turn our lives in the direction of God. Repent. Turn our lives in the direction of God. If there are patterns of living that keep us from the joy and the peace of God's beloved community in our daily lives, we are to repent from them and back towards God. If there are toxic habits that drain us of life and fill us with things like shame or anger or hatred or violence, ways of thinking and living that leave us feeling hopeless or empty, we are to turn from that to ways that bring life. Now, that's not an easy task. Those habits, those ways are well established for a reason. And even when we long to be free from them, the pull back into the old reliable patterns means that many of us find repentance, the, the turning to be a mere daily ritual. For people who struggle with substance use disorders, repentance isn't just a a giving up, a turning from the substance, It's it's a medical disorder that requires help and community and professionals and a lot of grace with oneself. But still, it's possible. In Luke's Gospel, Jesus doesn't jump right into preaching repentance. He, he spends the first part of his ministry living closely with the people who long for that freedom the most. He puts in the time, building trust, meeting people's needs, their immediate needs, the physical and emotional needs. He shows them that, that he's not here to condemn anyone. He's here to free folk. After word gets out that there is a man who knows everything I've ever done and still loves me, well, crowds assemble. And by then, after showing the world that he truly believes that every life in creation has dignity and worth, the God-given right to flourish, well, folks are ready to hear the hard truth. And it's this that he shares with them. A life of love is available to you. Value, grace, freedom are yours. And all you have to do is receive it. As Pastor Jody summed up her 20 years of preaching, she said, it all was a version of this. Jesus loves you, now deal with it. Or my favorite Christmas hymn, O Holy Night, which says, Long lay the world in sin and error, pining, Till he appeared, and the soul felt its worth, And a thrill of hope, and the weary world rejoices, For yonder breaks a new and glorious morn, But no matter how profound, how truly unique the grace-filled truth of the gospel is, remaining in that light is somehow not easy. We have this wonderful gift of grace, of, of knowing that no matter what, we are loved, we are welcomed by God, we are forgiven our sin, we belong to a community of fellow followers who care about us. Why is it so hard to accept love, to trust, forgiveness, to remain certain of our value, and to live free from sin and despair. The prophet Isaiah, he said, hey, everyone, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you that that have no money, come buy, eat, come buy, buy the wine, buy the milk, without money, without price. This is the word from God. God has what we need. He has it in abundance. It's for our benefit. Why, Isaiah says, do you spend money for that which is not bread? Why do you labor for that which does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me. Eat what is good. Eat what is good. Delight yourselves in rich food celebrate and enjoy God forever. Why is darkness always looming then? Why sadness? Why doubt? Well, because life. Life throws so much at us. It can make all the promises of God seem at best naive or unlikely, and at worst Utterly absurd. This is the reality that Jesus faced. He's he's preaching the gospel of grace, healing, forgiveness, his kingdom come near. He's pointing out the beauty of the lilies and and the trust of the sparrows, and it's beautiful. But the headlines of the day read like, well, the headlines of the day. Blood. Blood. Sacrifice, suffering, perishing, death. The news of his day was, was crashing against the message of the kingdom. The Roman ruler Pontius Pilate had apparently slaughtered some innocent Galileans when they went to worship. Does that sound familiar? And then there was the building that just collapsed and killed 18 people. These are are the events that make us question it all. Innocent lives gunned down in a mosque, a school, a neighborhood, a a, a random disease swoops in and upends everything, a freak accident, a suicide, a substance use disorder takes hold, an aneurysm, a massive heart attack, a stroke. These are the life experiences that can throw faith into a tailspin. When I worked with youth and college students, the question of how God could exist when all of this happens in life was the primary obstacle to faith. But more than the tough questions were the painful answers given by Christians, like, uh, well, everything happens for a reason, or God needed another angel, or God won't give you more than you can handle. That one came up in one of our midweek healing services and uh, felt like God sure must think I can handle a lot. Not only do these responses lack theological grounding, they also ring hollow, especially in times of pain and trauma. Worst of all was the claim that bad things happen as God's punishment for sin. that is simply not true. Life sneaks up on us. It can chip away at our confidence in God's love and presence, tempt us to shrug off all that once transformative repentance and slouch back into the safety of old ways. But Jesus deals with this reality head on Jesus tells his followers, when the Galileans were murdered, it was absolutely not because they were somehow more sinful, more deserving than anyone else. When that tower collapsed on those poor people, that wasn't divine justice because those 18 were any worse than anyone else in the city. No, it was likely because of some bad engineering, not God's judgment. Jesus makes clear God's not trying to teach us some lesson via life's random violence, but when faced with life, with faith's most pressing question, then why does this happen? Jesus responds, "Repent." He's not being harsh. He's saying, "Turn." Turn to God, because our faith in God is what gives us hope in a life filled with grief. Turn, remember you go through this life and God goes with you. When tyrants do what they do, when accidents happen, when our bodies turn on us, it's in these times when faith serves us most. For we face these things certain that God is with us through it all. And God will not let suffering or death or violence have the last word. Christians who turn to God when life hits hardest are turning to hope, and hope will not fail us. There is no doctrine that will comfort us in the midst of life's ruthless turns. Simple answers always fall short, for no answer will truly make the pain go away, or the anger, or the grief. The pain demands to be felt. So in a scary time, Jesus does not give petty, hallmark sentiments. He reminds his followers of the truth. They have turned to God. They don't face this time with its violent politicians and its disasters as those without hope. I've witnessed this kind of power of turning to faith in individuals who, when facing the darkest of evils in this life, miraculously persevere, or overcome, sometimes even flourish. Have you heard of, of those... Folks whose faith in Jesus empowered them to move into the darkness rather than abandon faith because of it. Those folks whose strength of faith is inward, but the impact of their faith changes the world. I'm thinking of those folks like Harriet Tubman, who felt the evils of slavery escaped and then returned time and time again to help others to freedom. I think we can all kind of call to mind the everyday saints who found in turning to God a power to transform the world around them into something more like the beloved community of God's dream. When they had as much reason to turn away from faith, declaring it fruitless in the face of such despair. So Jesus tells us a a story about a fig tree. It's an image of faith in the real world. A fig tree that was planted in a vineyard. The landowner planted the tree and and came looking for figs for three years, but it it didn't produce anything. So he told the gardener uh, to cut it down. It's a waste of soil. But the gardener protests, urging the landowner to give give it one more year. Let let him tend to it. Let him him fertilize it with some manure. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. If not, you can cut it down. What's the point of faith in God and following Jesus if the world continues to suffer so? Why not just chop down the tree of faith and be done with the church? Enjoy what we can while we can. The landowner wants to be done with this fruitless tree after three years of nothing. But here's the thing about fig trees. They take at least three years to produce fruit. Give it time, some love, have some patience. Fertilize it. It will produce. And so with faith, don't, don't, Don't pick up the axe when the darkness comes. Faith is a gift from God, but it takes some work, some patience on on our part. And sure, it is fertilized with so much of life's manure. But faith in a God who abides with us, who believes in us, who gives us gifts to believe in Him, in ourselves, in this world that we inhabit together. That's a fruit worth waiting for and working towards. And it is a rare thing. It is like a single fig tree in a grape vineyard. The other thing about figs that I learned from this great article by uh, Ben Crayer called Love the Fig in The New Yorker He's, he told me that they, they, they aren't really fruit at all, figs. Though today we find them among the grapes and the apples and inside Newtons. Figs are actually a specialized flower. Enclosed flowers that bloom modestly inward, unlike flamboyant show-offs of other plants. Bite a fig in half and you'll discover a core of tiny blossoms. The nature of this sweet flower has allowed figs to radiate throughout the natural world, to survive, to to thrive, where other plants would flounder. You can find figs on rooftops and cliff sides and volcanic islands. When mature, a large, strangler fig can stretch out over acres and produce millions of figs in just one flowering. Figs provide food for nearly 1,300 bird and mammal species. Sometimes figs are the only thing between an animal and starvation. And so with faith in bloom, it radiates in the world. Faith thrives and, and, and helps people survive in extraordinary circumstances. Faith inspires people to help others, to, to build shelters, to welcome strangers, to feed hungry, to save lives. Figs are considered a keystone species. Yank them out of a jungle, and the whole ecosystem will collapse. So put down the axe, my friend. Faith is a fig tree. Life is hard, my sisters and brothers. Life is hard. But don't let that hardness turn you hard. Don't pick up the axe. Pick up the shovel. Tend to the places of your heart that are hurting that are fearing. Let life's manure be turned into the fertilizer of something worth waiting for. The real fruit of faith is likely already blooming modestly inside. It is food not just for your soul, but the whole community is nourished by the faith of a disciple. It's your heart. It's your soul. It's your strength. It's your beauty, it's God within you, and it's holding this whole thing together. So do not perish, repent. Turn to God, open up, and see all of the tiny blossoms, the kingdom of God, they are each of us blooming together, and it is well, and it is good. Amen.